you have your Bibles, if you will turn with me to the book of 1 Peter this morning. Um, and if you'll, as you turn there today, I, I want you to be thinking about this idea. When's the last time you have been new? Whether it's the new kid starting a new job. I just want you to think, just for a moment, when's, when's the last time that you were new? I, I was thinking about that in this process and and honestly every time I think of the last time I was new there's an awkwardness that's paired with it a little bit you know what I mean I remember the first time that I was in a new position as in youth ministry and they told me that as a youth minister our, our group was large enough that I needed an assistant a secretary and I remember thinking, that's outstanding. I was so excited. We hired uh, a secretary, and she's, uh, she was an amazing help. But I remember the first day she came in and sat at my desk and said, okay, what do you want me to do? And I said, I have no idea. I've never had one of you before in my life. It was very awkward. I believe the first two weeks of, of that secretarial assistant relationship, I'm pretty sure we talked more about nothing than anything got accomplished. It's just an awkwardness of trying to figure out how new works. Or, or maybe this, between 5th grade and 12th grade, I had six different houses that I lived in. Let, let me tell you something about starting over. Right? Any of you in here, like, do you, did you move a lot growing up? Any of your hands, right? Yeah, good. My dad wasn't in the military. We just moved a lot. That's just our lifestyle in that. Do you know what's horrible about moving? is moving because you're always in a new house and right when you would just get things settled the way that you liked them they 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 were just how you wanted them then you would move and even if it was a better house i mean one of our homes had a pool it was amazing just that awkwardness of getting resettled was was just difficult or or maybe it's been a, a new job or a new church just that awkwardness i remember visiting a church about six years ago on vacation and it was first baptist church i won't tell you where it was and and they had a lot of room in the back pews so guess where on vacation i sit like the back pew it's like magical back there i get it i get it so so we we're in the back row and there's about eight rows between us and the next person and they do a greeting time and and i we stand, kind of like you stand here, and you're like, well, we're in the midst of the Sahara Desert. We're visitors, and like one person turns around, and you see them decide, do I have enough time to make it back to you and back to my seat before it's time to get business going, going again, right? And so this is what I see. We're back here, like, doing this. This person, they're like, oh, we made eye contact. They think, they think. It's like, well, that's great. It's like, hey, kind of awkward, kind of weird and i'm thinking the same thing i don't know how long i have to go visit you at your church it's just kind of just new is awkward for a season right? once once you get it broken in and new is now normal it's a different thing but new is awkward for a season church this is what first peter chapter 4 talks about to us is there's an awkwardness to our new in christ jesus that you and i need to be ready for you see, when you came to know Christ, if, if you were like me, I remember being, uh, as a child, I professed Christ, but I know that I know that I know in May of 1989 that Jesus Christ was absolutely my Lord and Savior from them every, from, from then point every on. And I remember that thrill and that excitement and that new and everything just was going to work out this way. I had it all planned out 
perfectly. And then I started in, engaging this new life in Christ, and it was different than I expected. It's wonderful, but there's just something awkward about new. And, and sometimes that awkwardness comes with expectation. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been been making something new and your expectation is that when I when I do this when I accomplish it it's going to be great and then you realize in order to accomplish it you've got a long way to go you got a long way to make it right in Christ Jesus we are living for eternity but we are living in his fullness now and there's an awkwardness of living in this world, in the flesh, but with a mind that is smitten, captivated, driven by tomorrow. And, and there's some push and pull that comes into it that can be discouraging or amazingly encouraging. And that's what Paul talks about. He says, the thing I want you to be aware of today, the thing I want you to be thankful for today, is suffering. You may think Pastor, I'm not sure there's any time I've ever been thankful for suffering. I've been thankful suffering is over. But, but I don't know that I've ever been thankful for suffering. I thought in, in Christ Jesus, He makes us new and everything is perfect all the time. Like, here's, here's a secret for you, Mom and Dad. Are you ready? This is free. When your children come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, they don't turn into angels. I know some of you are like your toast now. I get it. Like, it doesn't work that way. You know, it's not pastor. We just baptized him last week when he came out. He didn't glow. What happened? There's an awkwardness in this new, and a lot of times it's tied to this idea of suffering. And so I just want to jump into Scripture today and unpack for you the joy that you and I should find in this life, even in the suffering, even when it's awkward and we don't understand it right. So, We'll read chapter 4, verse 1 through 6, all together, and then we'll start back over at verse 1, okay? So let's put it in context here. It says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with that same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time, for the time that is past suffices. For doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality and passions and drunkenness and orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way, the way people are, they may live in the Spirit the way that God does. Now, I want to put this into context because you may not have read Peter recently. Paul wrote, God used him to write so much of the New Testament. You, you and I might start thinking that everybody processes like Paul. And I love what Peter says later on in his writing. And inspired by the Spirit, he says, listen, Paul can be a little bit difficult. He can be a little hard to understand. Here, here's what I want you to know about Peter. Peter was a blue-collar guy. He, he loved stating the facts as the facts. He loved calling the shots like it was. 
If Jesus is walking on the water, then if you call me, I'll go with you. Come on, let's go. When Jesus is saying, you're all going to abandon me, Peter's like, I can't think of it. I'm not staying silent. I won't abandon you. Right? If in, the, in the garden, Peter's saying, you want my Jesus? you got to come through me. Peter was just a matter of the fact, on the surface, what I say is what I mean. Take it or leave it. It's your call, but it is what it is. That's the mindset of Peter. And so as we look through these six verses of Scripture, that's where we're going to go because God used him to write this amazing process, this amazing truth about suffering in the Christian life in the most matter-of-fact way. That's just clean. And he starts by saying this, verse 1, just the first few words. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh. Now, many times Paul will talk about the flesh as this nature, this sinful nature that we have. For Peter, the flesh is the flesh. It means just as Christ, when he was here with us in bodily form, suffered. That's our example. That's what it puts it out. And when we start thinking of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, living in the physical, what is he saying? It means that he left the eternal place with his Father and came to earth in the flesh. It means he endured the growth process of a child in the flesh. It means that he suffered, he was picked on, he was disdained, he was beaten, he was bruised. He was perfect. He is not only our example, He is our Savior and our Lord. And He suffered in perfection. You know, there's something about setting a reasonable expectation. You see, Jesus doesn't come as, as some used uh, car salesman or something up that hasn't even tried the product, that just needs to make money to put food on the table, and I'll tell you what, in, what I can to get it there. Jesus is the great high priest who has suffered and was tempted in every way in the flesh, perfect life. He suffered greatly at the hands of a fallen world. Church, there's an expectation for you and I. If you and I are going to be like Christ, then we have to take Christ in. If you were to look at the back, just a chapter, in verse chapter 3, verse 13 through 17, it says, Now, who is there to harm you if you're zealous for good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, for you in your heart honor Christ as Lord, as holy, being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason, the hope that is set in you, but do so with gentleness and respect, having good conscience, so that when you're slandered, not if, when you're slandered, those who revile you for your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it's better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Verse 18, now Christ also suffered once for sins of the righteous, for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh. Church, if Jesus is our Lord and our Savior, if he is our example, and he suffered, then the Bible says then you and I need to be of the same mindset. Look back to chapter 4, verse 1. For Christ suffered in the flesh, so arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. 
See, what, what Peter just wants you to know is, I want you to arm yourself very, very simply, very clear. It's like being a chef and going into the kitchen. To arm yourself, you're going to put on your apron, you're going to put your knives uh, on your belt or have them ready at your station. If you're a police officer, you're going to put on your uniform, you're going to put on your Batman utility belt or whatever you wear, right? And you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna have your weapon in your hand. If you're going to war, it's the same way. If you're going to school, it's the same thing. Have your lessons prepared. Have your things on the wall. Get ready. Arm yourself. What Peter says is this. If you and I, alive in Christ, know that Jesus Christ suffered, then you need to prepare yourself with the same way of thinking. In other words, the thinking is not suffering. Bring it on. I'm ready for you. Oh, I've lived to suffer. That would be a little odd. But the same way of thinking is what I am living for whom I am living for is so much more valuable. It's so much more amazing. Tomorrow, the will of God, the joy of my Father is so great that when suffering comes, it will have no easy prey here because I am captivated by my commission. You see, that's the way we're to equip ourselves. So that when suffering comes and it came to Christ, we are ready to live as overcomers because of Christ. You see, this idea of, of gearing you up is to prepare you to enjoy and delight in the Lord, not to oh, make deals, compromises with the world. So Peter goes on, he says, first of all, Christ suffered. So therefore, arm yourself with the same way of thinking that Christ did. Who I'm living for is more valuable than what I'll come up against. So come up what may, I'm ready for it because I'm doing whatever I can to embrace the joy of my Father. Now check this out. The end of verse 1 says this. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now, here's where we have to be Peter. We have to see the Holy Spirit inspiring God's word through Peter and not through Paul. Because sometimes in Paul, we might read this and say, you mean I can't be a believer and I'm not really suffering from the Lord unless I'm not a sinner, unless I, I will never sin again. That's what the Bible says. I remember walking through the, the, the middle of campus at A&M years ago, over 20 years ago, still clear as day in my mind. And this young man with a Bible next to another young man shouting profanities linked to the name of Jesus, holding a Bible in his hand, trying to win people to the Lord, grabs the handlebars of a bicycle of another kid and says, stop, where do you go to church? And the kid answers something, and it was not what this young man wanted to hear. And he said, well, let me ask you, have you sinned recently if you claim to be a Christian? He says, I am. He says, well, then you're not a believer because the Bible says in Peter that those who are with him, they don't sin anymore. I'm thinking, can I count the ways right now that you're doing this? And I thought, Lord, let us read your word as you gave it to us. The idea here is that you are not a sinner. The idea is captivated in suffering. In other words, it says this, it means this. When you follow the example from Christ and you start turning around on sin, Suffering is going to come because you are turning your back on the tide of sinfulness. See, when you cease from sinning, 
anticipate suffering to increase because because you're turning your back you're 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 looking down on something the world embraces so so you're going to cease from sinning and that's going to cause you to suffer but in the flesh not in the spirit in the flesh i was reading and listening to a story as kind of the intro to a book called the weight of glory by c.s lewis and the intro was given by, by the man who, who lived with him for three, three months and wrote things down and kind of was his journalist for a while. And he said one day, C.S. Lewis died in his 60s. He said one day after C.S. Lewis has, had come back home and he was still very ill, I came back in the room and he asked, why are you looking so glum? And he said, I had to tell him. I had just been outside for a few minutes of air in a 90-year-old atheist was walking down the road, a neighbor of C.S. Lewis's. And he asked me, he said, how are you doing? How is, how is Lewis doing? He said, actually, he's not doing very well. His health is not very good. And he said, I'm 90 and doing fantastic. And he kept on walking. Just a dig. Just here he is denying himself of the pleasures of life that I'm enjoying and he is dying and I am healthy he said in that moment I told C.S. Lewis that I wanted to pray to God why would you let him and his sin be well in the flesh and yet you are allowing this godly man to hurt he said C.S. Lewis said well how do you think God would feel about that prayer he said well that's why I didn't pray it you see, because when you cease from sinning in the flesh, when you turn your back on your wicked ways, when you start walking away from the things that used to define you and your relationships, when you cease from sinning, suffering's going to follow. And it's a sign. It's a marker that you're walking in a new way. Verse 2 goes a little bit further on to unpack that. It says, so, as, the, as to the rest, excuse me, as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. You see, the verse so as, is, the word so as is so important in verse 2. In other words, you, following Christ's example, being equipped to suffer with the mindset of the goal being greater than the fleshly suffering, knowing that when you turn your back on sin, that it will increase your suffering from those who you're turning your back on. It's for a purpose. That's the so as. Like, there's a point to this. God is, you're not just doing this just to show the world that you're different. You're not just doing this just to uh, try life a different way. We're not just throwing mud against the wall and hoping it sticks. But instead, so as, there's a purpose. There's a purpose for you to live the rest of your life. This amazing. Paul says, your purpose for the rest of your life is not the flesh. It's not to just be a slave to your human passions. But you can actually live for God. There's something Peter's saying that's pretty front forward. That what you have in Christ is something the world cannot have outside of him and that is a way to live that makes you a delight in relationship 
with the creator of all things, the judge of all eternity. You see, this is so different than a works-based faith that says, I hope I can please God by doing enough that when I see him, he won't condemn me to hell. What Peter says, just plain and simple, is not just one day, but starting now, you can live purposefully in the pleasure of God, for the will of God, for his joy. And that gives you direction. He then unpacks it for us more into verse 4. He says it like this, or verse Verse 3, excuse me. He says, For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality and passions and drunkenness and orgies and drinking parties and lawless idolatry. Here, here's where Peter just keeps linking our new way of life to suffering. He says, The time has passed. You've had sufficient time, whether it's been a week or your whole life whether you're coming to know Christ like the thief on the cross or whether you were raised in a joyful, godly family as Timothy was. He says, the time has been sufficient for sin to rule your life. It, it would be as clear as saying, whatever time you spend in slavery, that was enough. You don't need to go back. It's been sufficient. It's been sufficient. And then he lays out this list of things and debauchery and drinking parties and, 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 and living in sensuality and passions. He lays out this list. Why does he lay out this list? Because those were things that the Christians in, in, in the Gentile world were doing. This was just part of life. It was just, it was part of the political government. In fact, you, you would worship Caesar in idolatry. That was a patriotic act to stand by Caesar no matter what he said, to worship him. It was a patriotic act to engage in drunken, passionate, perverse parties. That was just part of the social scheme of the world. And you've been doing that, he would say. You've been doing that, and the time that you've done it is over. Walking blindlessly, living for the flesh and in the flesh. That, that time's over. Let me tell you how that would have been perceived in the Roman world. Christians were labeled haters of people. Because they stopped doing these things. Because they turned their back on sin. They were literally haters of humanity. They were called unsympathetic. They were called bigoted. They were called vile names by the world because their lack of participation was evident to those living in sin. That they were worthy to suffer. And church, when I, when I read this verse, of these are the things we used to be, these are the, the ways that we used to live, I thought, church, the more you and I live for the Lord than our country, than our culture, the more people will say, but you used to do the same things that I did, you're not better than me. 
it's not impacting your life. So why do you stay away from it? Why can't you just approve that I do what I do and and you just at least approve of it? You don't have to engage. Why don't you just at least approve of it? Church, let me let me let me say this very clearly. If you and I equip ourselves with the mind of Christ, then you and I should be prepared for the world to label us haters of humanity, unpatriotic, bigoted. Not because any of it's true. In fact, the opposite is true. But when you and I cease from engaging in the sin of this world, when we turn from our wicked ways, when we turn from the world and the culture, the Bible says, then suffering is at hand. Then suffering is at hand. If you compromise and and bow and swivel and swing, it's not the same. We should expect when that change comes to be that suffering is right there with us. If we go a little bit further into verse 4, It says, with respect, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they will malign you. Your change and my change will not be welcome in the flesh. Just get rid. I love it. Peter's just saying, this is life. This is real. To be right with God and to live for the purpose of the Lord is different. And if you want to live for the Lord and be made new, I want you to know that your change will not be welcomed. That people will turn against you. Why? Because John chapter 1 verse 5 says, And the light shone in the darkness, and the darkness could not comprehend it. It couldn't comprehend why there needed to be a light. It couldn't comprehend what it was doing wrong. It couldn't comprehend why we couldn't just play nice. That, that light is Jesus. In Psalms chapter 23, It says, the Lord is my shepherd. Later on in the verse, it says, you prepare a table before me. In what? The presence of my enemies. Let me ask you a question. Do you think your enemies are like, man, you made it. I'm so proud of you. No, note to self. They're going to be more ticked off. You're safe. You're delighting. Your joy in the Father, in the fruits that are heavenly, are are an affront. They're aggravating, they're irritating to those who are trying to gain eternity and and satisfy their flesh at the same time. So be expectant. Be expectant if you live, if you follow Christ, that those whom you stop sinning with or those whom have created a culture for a false beauty to malign you. Don't expect them to say good for you. Now, look at verse 5. The Bible says this, but, anytime you see the word but in Scripture, it means we're changing direction a little bit. Up to this point, I've been talking to you about how you need to live with this mindset that Christ has in your life, that you're going to suffer in the flesh because what's before you is greater. I've been having you get ready for that. But now, I want you to know something. Verse 5. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. You see, 
back in Paul's time, they would say this. They would say Christians are dying just like those who don't follow Christ. So therefore, you're suffering and you're still dying. If you were dying, if you were suffering, it meant you were on the losing team. In fact, today, we still kind of get it phrased in that picture. If you're suffering, if you're dying, if bad things happen, it just means you're on the losing team. If you just had a better team or had a better understanding, then you're good. And what, what Peter says here is, listen, the suffering that we've got, this life that we live, we're not here to give account to judge one another. But they will be judged. They'll give an account to the one who really judges the living and the dead. You see your short-term temporal judge? Our, our death, it is not judgment. Listen, even if you or I were to be killed today, and when you walk out this building, that's not judgment. Back in the beginning of the scripture, when, when Adam and Eve took on the fruit and sin reigned in their body, God promised death would end this flesh. But... You and I, as well as everyone else who's ever lived, will be judged and held accountable. We'll give account. And when you stand before the Lord, it's either I have put on with Christ the same way of thinking that you are worthy. And that because of Jesus Christ, because he lived and he died on the cross and he has covered my sins, I stand before you. I have nothing else to say but Jesus. But, but if your account and my account is, I kept trying to figure it out. I kept trying to make the way. I was irritated by those who I thought figured it out. Because I was grasping at how to live a life that was free of pain, that was free of struggle, so that life would be still enough for me to hear your voice. So that life would be still enough for me to obtain tomorrow. And it just didn't come. You see, I really do believe in that last day of judgment with fear in their, their minds and, the, and fear in their mouths. There will be men and women who blame the Lord on their own sinfulness and their debauchery and their account will be judged. Verse 6 says this, For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they may live in the Spirit the way God does. You see, this is Paul Peter's point of encouragement. So listen, the gospel was preached to those who are alive now and to those who have died. We've preached the gospel to people. They have heard the gospel and they have died. That's why we started it preaching it long ago and that's why we preach it now to the living. Because all of us, all of us in the flesh, we're going to die. But that is not the end of everyone's story that they may live in the spirit the way that God does church 
This is what we have to be thankful for. That God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ, who suffered and died because of your unrighteousness. And He overcame and made a way for you and I to put on the same way of thinking, to douse ourselves in Christ. That He is our all in all. That He is our everything. That even as the thief on the cross says, Remember me. Remember me. And Jesus says, Today you will be with me in paradise. This temporal judgment of the flesh that all men face is not the end of your story. And your story is eternal. your story reads like this because of Christ Jesus because you ceased and turned from sin to face Christ Jesus the suffering that came is nothing because you will live in the spirit the way that God does forever forever that's worth suffering for. That's worth being maligned for. That's worth leaving behind things for. Church, this morning, are you suffering because of Christ? Some of you are suffering because of your own sin. That's not the same. Turn your back on that. Some of you are suffering because of the sin of others who wear the badge of Jesus. Listen, I'm from South Alabama. They, people smile at you and beat you at the same time. Somehow that makes it into church. And with a smile on our face, we abuse our brother and sister. That's not the suffering that Christ wants you to be a part of. So repentance is at hand. Listen, put on, equip yourselves with Christ. Turn your back on your debauchery. Leave it behind. Your circle group of people, they're going to get angry. But it's worth it because you live for a purpose. And that purpose points you to eternity. And eternity with Christ is living in the Spirit in the way of the Lord. And that, that is who we are. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for your joy. Thank you for this morning. God, I, I know, I know we don't think of suffering and thanksgiving in the same word often. But Father, Lord, I pray that you would allow us not to seek suffering, but to seek you. And when we seek you to be ready for suffering, God, 